Yo, yo, yo. Welcome back to Made to Think with your host, Ninjam. I really do apologize for the big, long delay for the next episode. Uh, it's been a hectic few weeks. As we all know, Manchester City won the league, then they won the FA Cup final, and then Champions of Europe for the first time ever. That one's for me, Dad. Absolutely buzzing about that. So I went from a super high to a super low um, last week. One of my very, very close friends here, a master chef, Mr. Chris Donnellan, um, was out doing some uh, motocross event in Moonay and had an accident and never recovered. And uh, we heard the news on the following Monday that uh, he passed away and I was absolutely devastated. One of the reasons that I want to give Chris a massive shout out is when I was really uh, down in uh, Saigon, I was all out, you know, I was out of money and hit rock bottom. This guy, uh, he came to me out of nowhere. We sort of um, switched places because he'd had a, a long list of problems with health and uh, he got run over and he got um, attacked. Lots of things happened to him and um, I sort of kept sending him messages to make sure he was all right. And when he returned from Australia after an operation, he came around to my house and he's a super busy guy. He's got he had multiple uh, businesses here. Um, we weren't super close, but we always kept in touch for some reason. So he came around to my house anyway, and he just wanted to thank me for for always checking in. And he actually said to me, you know, like there's probably five people in the whole world who who checked in as much as I did. So when I uh, when I was really all out, you know, I felt like I just failed in life. I was um I, I, I was suicidal, I'll be honest. And he was my neighbor at the time, and he told me, you know, I said, get your ass around here. And um, he had a chat with me and he said, we need to make you a plan. We need to get you back on track. And he just he just sat with me for a few hours and and sort of laid out some stuff that I already knew. But I just I needed some certainty and um, I need somebody to believe in me again. And, and he was the guy. And to find out that he passed away, I was I was heartbroken. So that was the reason that I just went a bit silent. Um, just didn't feel like coming back and talking about anything on, on, on here, but this one's for you, Chris, and I, I miss you and I love you. He was a great human. And I, um, I, I checked in on his online funeral and I saw all these tributes and he was much loved. So he was the person that said to me, no matter what, don't give up. And there was a moment where, you know, I started neglecting my podcast. It's not about how many people listen or whether it's good or bad. It's just about continuing something. So, Thanks for that. You're reminding me to get back up again and just keep pumping away. So here we are. We're on chapter nine. And the last Slam Jam episode, um, I just started my road trip in America um, and I uh, just left uh, the old San Francisco. And now I'm heading all the way down to Los Angeles. And I've been, I've, this is like the third time I've been in Los Angeles, but I'd never gone by plane. And I tell you what, because I'm from England, uh, it, it's rare that English people take planes in England. You've got to be rich for that. You know, we usually take um, uh, the train or something. So for me, it was a very strange feeling taking a plane ride from San Fran and still being in the same state, never, may, never mind the same country when I landed. Um, I went from um, a very cold Northern California weather into a beautiful LA, 25 degrees. And I tell you something, man, I'm not a massive fan of Los Angeles. Some people love it, but just coming in on a plane, if you've ever, if you've ever seen it, it's just, it's just, you're gobsmacked by the vastness. You can see like three downtown, three major downtown areas, which is bizarre for a city. And there's just tons of smog in the air. Um, you know, you've got all these huge mountains. So they sort of, 
it traps all the smog from all these cars. And you can see like eight lane highways, just chock a block with cars. You can even see aeroplanes like circling to land. It's just madness. You know, it's madness. Why anybody want to live there? But I'd come here for a special reason. When I was in England, um, I only hosted a, a few people when I was couch surfing before I sold my house. And my second host was a guy called Russ. Um, he was uh, half Italian. And Russ, um, I'd basically travelled all around Europe and and probably more of England than I have. And it sort of really got my blood stimulated as to, you know, what am I doing? I'm 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 just working all the time. Um, I'm boring. I, I need to go and, and have an adventure. And here's an American guy who'd seen more Europe than me. So what Russ did, his job at the time, he was getting paid to go around in Europe and take HD video of um, like long shots of like trains or you know famous buildings and back then hd video was kind of new so he would send off his footage to these companies and they'd pay him for it he had a really cushy job so he was he was tra traveling around europe with this massive big camera and um, i said to him look if i ever do sell my house and i do this project i'll come and see you in america and i was about this i pitched this idea we'll we'll take your car around the us i'll pay for all the gas and and you can uh, get paid to do your job at the same time. And he was like buzzing, just get your ass over to America. So I did, and he was he was absolutely over the moon that I'd actually committed to it. You know, I sold everything, and and here I was landing in LA. So as soon as I arrived um, to Los Angeles, he come and picked me up in his uh, Honda Acura, which was a brilliant little sports car. Only only two seats, but you know, awesome. And uh, I swapped my hoodie for a T-shirt, and then we we sped off. The first place we went to is El Segundo, and then uh, we hit up the coast of uh, Venice Beach. You know, I'd seen Venice Beach before, and it's obviously famous for a bunch of uh, really cool uh, MTV videos, um, namely the Aphex Twins' Window Liquor, which is one of my favorite tunes of all time. That is a freaky-ass uh, track that is and the video is even worse then you've got NWA Express Yourself that was filmed there even Michael Jackson's Thriller was filmed there as well on Venice Beach Snoop Dogg Who Am I Beastie Boys Sabotage absolute classic that uh, Massive Attack Unfinished Sympathy and Tom Petty Free Falling I'm free yeah I'm not going to sing it so anyway you know it's a, it's a wonderful place LA for a few days mooching around so straight after Venice Beach we, uh, we went up the course to pacific on the on the pacific coast highway to santa monica boulevard straight into beverly hills i mean it, that place is, is just i don't know I, every time i go there i think would i like to live there because it's just the houses are you know phenomenal you gotta you gotta really hit top of the game there to, to live around there but i just sold everything and this wasn't the place that i was looking for I, it didn't have any attraction to me wealth and richness and just all these materialistic things. I wanted to get far away, as far away from these places as possible. So we continued on uh, onto Melrose Avenue, which is full of like hip and funky fashion freaks and really expensive stores. Uh, we turned on to La Brea, which is very famous. Uh, it's a super famous road, especially famous for the hot dog stand called Pink's. And around this time, it was like 2007. Uh, I remember Hell's Kitchen had just done the, the Gordon Ramsay dog. So we stopped by at the hot dog place to try this Ramsey dog. And, you know, it's massive queues. And all it is is just a fancy hot dog. That's Let's be honest. I'd rather have an Asda hot dog, two quid buzzing, bit of, bit of mustard. So then we straight on to Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood. Now, in, in, when I was 21, 
I, 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 sorry, I turned 21 in Hollywood, um, you know, a few years previous when I first lived in America. Um, so what happened there, I want to give a shout out to Nick Reader, one of my best mates. Nick Reader, my mate, planned to come over and visit me, uh, pick me up in San Francisco, and then we were going to drive down to Mexico in a Porsche, you know, do it, do it like Men in Black style. And um, my mum turned up as a surprise on the plane with him and he couldn't tell me. So we had to ditch the Porsche and uh, we, we ended up going down in the F-150. But I remember getting down to Hollywood and I was 20 and I was like, I was stood on Elvis Presley star getting ready to uh, turn 21. That was a pretty cool place to turn 21. But they wouldn't let me in the bar until 12 o'clock. So I had to wait a few hours, which is just retarded, isn't it? I've been drinking since I was like 15. So, um. I always remember just like being there with my mum. That was a good memory. And um, and then the idea was we was going to drive down to Mexico so I could get a new visa. Anyway, we did all of that, get to Mexico, and this whole, they, they don't stamp anymore. So that was one of the reasons I had to leave America. I didn't sort out the visa properly. So make sure you've got a fucking visa, right? Anyway, so and it, we're shooting off. We're going all the way around Hollywood, seeing a lot of Hollywood, but I'd never been up the Hollywood Hills, um, which was mind-blowing. I've seen it loads of times in movies. You know, we're talking the place where um, the uh, the murders happened from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And we, uh, we winded our way down the hills and we came out onto Mulholland Drive. Now, Mulholland Drive, it resonates with me because when I was at university, um, I had to, I was studying about film and um, I wasn't much into like, you know, the David Lynch and Cronenberg films, but university got me, uh, got me looking at film in a different perspective. And I always remember Mulholland Drive, one of Lynch's, you know, classics, because it was what we call a non-linear movie. So well, I'll explain that to people who don't know what it means. Um, you know, your average sort of person, when they watch a film, they want to see like, somebody fighting for what you call a dramatic treasure and they have to do all these like you know painful challenges to get there and they, they go up and down up and down but in the end your protagonist will always sort of like win his reward after suffering a great deal like look at rocky rocky loses and then he wins you know what i mean but with non-linear films david lynch um, the mulholland drive for example it opens up at the beginning of the film you've got a kid skateboarding and then that kid bangs into a car and then the car starts driving off and then we start following the car and you can't get attached to the kid on the skateboard so most people get frustrated with that and be like hang on what we're we doing here who are we following but lynch was he was the classic tearing the hollywood premise apart and doing whatever the fuck he wanted so i just want to talk about my favorite ever non-linear movies that i can remember would be uh, memento classic memento you can actually watch it to, in both ways, reverse or forwards, but apparently it was shot. Uh, it was shot the right way, and then it was reversed for the film. And then you've got the Prestige, which was a classic non-linear movie. Uh, Pulp Fiction, probably the, the most well-known. Cloud Atlas, gotta watch that if you haven't seen that film. That is just next level. Uh, even Citizen Kane, believe it or not, is a non-linear film. Uh, the Killing by Kubrick, he's the greatest of all time, in my opinion. And then. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. So those are the kind of films that, you know, they're a little bit wacky and the storyline's not all in light order, but I like that shit. And just one thing that I noticed as well, I don't know if you've seen the the Fablemans, which was Spielberg's latest film, which is all about his life. Right at the end of that film, he's got David Lynch playing what they suggest is the, uh, the, the greatest director of all time. 
Um, I thought that was a nice little touch by Spielberg. And you could argue that Lynch is the most creative genius director. But for me, it's Kubrick all day long. Why? Because Kubrick was an insider and he used his film to expose a lot of what you call conspiracies. And I'm, I'm very much into that. And, you know, at the end of the day, he got killed for it or silenced, whatever you want to say. I, that's what I believe. So um, another thing what's very funny about Hollywood, um, and this has been mentioned on many, many podcasts, but I just want to like bring it back into light. The actual word Hollywood comes from the Hollyberry tree, which is what these um, these old magicians, they used to carve out the uh, the branch from a hollyberry tree and that's what they made to use magic wands so hollywood is is deeply deeply invested in uh, the occult um and uh, there's one book if you i'm not going to like go into a lot of things i'll just i'll just lay out some references but there's one book that got me into a story that i had no idea about and it's the story of laurel canyon uh, there's a book called weird scenes inside the canyon highly recommend if you've got a bit of time and you're interested in different things go and get that book and read it it will blow your mind and um you know los angeles is is, is got some seriously dark energy and history um it's freaky uh just, just one more thing about that is that uh, we, we went past the houdini's house well we, we got kind of close but houdini the story of houdini he was like a spy for the you know cia or something or he could have even been an assassin because he was using his like magic show to go around the world and he'd always be late for the show so that was a perfect cover for whatever he was doing he could be you know killing somebody and then turning up to his show 30 minutes later and you know where was houdini at the time of this killing but there was always murders at the same at the same times of, of his shows in all these different places it's fascinating check it out weird scenes inside the canyon anyway after after hollywood we uh, we blasted our way through the Thanksgiving traffic into Pasadena, uh, so I'd never been onto the uh, the east side of um, of LA. It's a fucking ginormous city. You need a car to get around. And um, Russ lived in this place called Diamond Bar, which is north of Orange County, the OC. Um, and this would be my home now for the next few days. So I'd left I'd left the comfort of my uncle in San Fran. You know, I was just getting warmed up to sort of like travel travel on my own. And now I'm in this beautiful mansion on top of these hills in in Diamond Bar, and uh, and I just I just asked myself like why why did I live in England so long? It's so black and white in England. I've just been watching some videos of my mates running in the rain in Bolton, and it just looks fucking miserable. It's you know it's a rainy day right here in Saigon, but it's sunny tomorrow. I can go out running with no shirt on. Is a big difference that having the sun out. So I'm a missing home. I, I miss some things, crumpets, pasties, my sister <laughs> and some candies. But, you know, I miss my family and stuff. But the weather in England, not a chance. So anyway, um, I'd, I'd arrived to Russ's house and it was my first ever time uh, experience Thanksgiving. And, you know, the older I get now, the more I realize that all these celebrations are all just pagan things. And a lot of them are all occult and twisted especially christmas but i'm not going to go into that so thanksgiving not sure if i believe in it but this is about a celebration when the plymouth colonists and the wambanong indians shared an autumn harvest feast apparently in 1621 it's like it's like a christmas when people get together bringing all kinds of foods and play games and be thankful for the things that they've got and for me it was quite overwhelming because i hadn't had like a family uh christmas or anything for a few years so i got i got to be with russ's family and 
his 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 mum and dad were absolutely amazing. His mum Sue, she was like a, a a wellness person, so she was giving me all this advice about, oh, you're going to be traveling with me, son, for three months in America. You you need to eat peanuts and you know make sure you watch your your diet. Don't be don't be eating all this uh, fast food. But I was like, Sue, you know you've no chance. I'm in Rome, you know what I mean? I'm going to eat all the fast food I see. And then I always remember his dad. His dad were dead lovely. His dad worked for a big um, truck company. And uh, he'd been there all his life. And, you know, he played his cards right. He had the big ring. Um, and I respect that. But for me, I just couldn't see myself doing 50 years in a company just to, you know, have a big house and have the perfect family. Just didn't resonate with me, but I respect it. Anyway, I remember sitting down one day and I was just doing some work on the computer and he come up to me, this big towering half Italian, you know, white hair. And he said, hey, don't get too comfortable. And that that there just was a really good learning lesson because I was like that when people stayed with me. I had my house dead tidy and I didn't like when people made a mess. You should always like make sure you leave your space exactly how you found it. Their house was immaculate and, and I'm quite immaculate, but... Um, yeah, he, he reminded me that I'm going to be traveling and, you know, just be 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 respectful of my environment and other people's space. So anyway, we had a great party, um, you know, and then Russ actually pulled out a nice surprise for me. He had, a, he had a bunch of snowboarding gear and he says, yeah, we're going to be snowboarding. I never tried snowboarding in my life, but here I am on this adventure and I've got all these new prospects and these new uh, dreams that are coming true. So I tried on this snowboarding gear and we, we packed up the uh, the car getting ready to leave. So the next day, me and Rusty woke up and he had another surprise for me. He um, he took me down to Laguna Beach with a fucking surfboard. I tell you what, me and surfboards, in fact, me and water, this would have this this was the start of this lifelong like um challenge with me and water. Later in my adventures, water was the thing that nearly killed me several times. And this was one of the first times we go down there and everybody's ripped up. And then it is me fucking look like E.T., fucking white as shit from Bolton. Um, you know, I'd never, ever, I, I went, I've been on a Turbo 2 skateboard, which was fucking massive. And it, I've got this slippery fucking surfboard now. And I just fell over. I got dragged around, popped my head out somewhere in freaking San Diego, I reckon. Um, it was horrible. Um, wasn't impressed. It was cold um, and I felt sick. And, you know, there's all these rich kids around laughing at me. So we jacked that off and then we uh, we headed over to Huntington Beach. And I'll tell you something now, all I remember, I mean, this is 2007, this is going back, but I just remember this dead look of all these people who've got everything compared to that wide stare of people who really look at everything, if you know what I mean. they I didn't want to be one of them people. These Ferraris, these Porsches, these, you know, everything you can imagine in that area, Huntington Beach, Laguna, it's like everybody looks happy. But when they get home to the big mansions, I, I would say they're not that happy. Money money doesn't make you happy. It makes you fucking free. I'll give you that. But it doesn't buy happiness. So for me, I, I knew exactly what kind of adventure. The, the deeper the jungle, the harder the challenge, the bigger the mountain. That was all. That was what I was all about. This was just going to be a bit of a luxury. So the sun's banging out. And uh, we're we're buzzing around with these surfboards, um, and I, and I was I was very much getting into books as well. Me and Russ were swapping books, um, and you know he's from America, I was from England, so I'd say things like, "Can I put my trainers in your in your boot?" And he's like, "The fuck are you talking about?" And you know, in American, that would be, uh, "Can I put my sneakers in your trunk?" So there were there were things that we had to understand about each other's language, um, which was quite funny. So, um. That night, we ended up going out. He took me out into Hollywood again. 
and we went to a bunch of clubs and stuff and I, and it, it was all good and that but I was just like when are we going to fuck off and get moving because I I can't stay in these big cities it's too expensive I've seen it all before and uh yeah he got the idea so the next morning we shot off to San Diego so we're going from LA to San Diego we go down um um forgot the name I think it's Interstate what was it called anyway we're going straight down San Diego and we're going up to meet one of Russell's good friends, a guy called Jeremiah. I've never met him before. No idea what we're going to do. It's all a complete surprise for me. All that I know is that Russell spread the word that there's a guy who sold his house and he's looking for hosts to have adventures in each place. So you could say that Jeremiah was, was my official third couch surfing host. So anyway, um, we go down the coastline. It's absolutely beautiful. I, I, you know that now we're talking sunstroke coastlines, steady moving traffic. We got the breeze in our face. My heart's pounding with excitement of uh, yet another adventure. And then we we drove into the typical skyscraper center that I'd now become so accustomed to in America. Um, I've seen San Diego. You know, again, it, America's like a movie set. So I remember going over the uh, Coronado Bridge onto the man-made Coronado. Coronado Island, which is the big um, naval port, and as you as you recall, my dad was in the navy. So any time I see anything to do with navy, I call that the dad time. And this fucking the, the the sight from this bridge, you're seeing all these aircraft carrier ships in the dock there. It was like something of Star Wars, honestly, or um, the Avengers. And then you've got like those massive aircraft carrier ships there with the F-18 fighter planes, proper top gun shit. So San Diego is the home to one of the biggest naval bases in the world. It's it's honestly a sight to behold. And the actual bridge that you cross to get to the um, the naval, uh, the, the island, the man-made island, apparently if there's ever a war, then that bridge can like be blown up and the pieces will float on the water so that it can be pulled aside, allowing the boats to still pass through the bay. They thought about everything. Um, um, it was pretty impressive, man. So anyway, we go pick up some beers, get some snacks, and we drive down to the harbor. And I meet up with Jeremiah, and he's got this fucking twenty-eight foot sea ray open bow, deep V hole power boat. It's basically a sports car on water. You're talking if you know over a million dollars for this fucking thing, and I'm like, what the? We're gonna we're gonna go out on this. So Jeremiah is there. He's like, get your ass on here. So I had no idea who he was. I tell you who he was. He was the owner of the boat, and he's a lieutenant in the navy, and he flies Seahawk helicopters, which are basically the same as the Blackhawks, but modified for the navy. I mean, this is a real athlete, real life action man, and we became friends in an instant. As soon as I said my dad was in the navy and he was on the submarines, he was like, "Right, get your ass on here." And this guy thrives on having fun and making sure everyone around him is doing the same. He's an absolute legend. He was telling me stories that. You know, before he was doing the Seahawks, he was basically doing coastal rescue, which is, I swear, it's one of the hardest jobs in the world. You've got to go out there in a helicopter in gale winds and, like, balance the helicopter over these massive waves while somebody uh, glides, you know, um, glides down into the water and picks up the, the person who's injured. It is it's frightening, and this guy, he's got nerves of steel. So, anyway, we've got a nice box full of beer. And uh, we're introduced to the bunch of people on the boat. We got we got another guy called Danny as well. Danny was a pilot, 
who didn't make it in the uh, the army, but a really nice guy. Um, so it's perfect day. The sun's blazing. Um, we sit on these white leather chairs on this fucking boat, and I, I was hanging on for dear life as Jer- Jeremiah just fearlessly smashed through the waves. He was going so fast on this boat, and we had pumping techno music going off that um, we hit the water at one point so hard that the engine stalled, and we just sat there motionless for, for a while. Um, and I'm thinking, shit, we're going to have to get the Coast Guard. And then I realized we had the Coast Guard on the boat with us. So he just pulled out his spanner and went to work. And within 30 minutes, we're back up and running again. And uh, it was ace. We went through um, uh, Mission Bay and stopped the boat right there. Anybody knows San Diego? What, what a beautiful place that is. And you got the sun coming down. We sat there, you know, we ate and drank. It was one of the best days of my life. And this is this is only like, what, a few weeks into my adventure. So then um, we headed back over to the sea, to San Diego Bay, and the sun began to set behind us, which was dragging the night sky over my head. Something I love about America, the skies are so vast. Um, on, on some places where it's flat, you can basically see the, the night coming in and the day in front of you. It's like they meet in the middle, and it's like a curtain being pulled over. It's just beautiful. So I can see this like water painting manifesting right before my eyes where the sea meets the sky and these like reds turn to orange, blending yellows into blues with slowly creeping purples that spiraled into a halo to be swallowed by the horizon. And the stars start waking lazy. The sea now glass. My heart stopped at I'm sure at that moment, I was absolutely speechless for the first time in my life. It was just unbelievable. So then to make things even more exciting, Jeremiah just said, Oi, why don't you drive? I'm like, what are you on about now? <laughs> Excuse me. So he lets me drive the boat through the harbor. I and mean, you know, we're passing these naval ports, riding right close up to these aircraft carriers. Um, if I can remember correctly, what one of them was called the Medway. Yeah, this Medway was this World War II aircraft carrier, probably still there, but it's now like a museum in the water. And you can see, like, as the half moon was lit on the sides, it was exposing all the war scars on the side of the boat. These are like real war scars from World War II, man. It was unbelievable. So then we, uh, we go under the Colorado Bridge again, and then we made our way back down to the dock. And it was so funny when we get to the docking bay, we're all absolutely smashed. And Jeremiah's friend, Danny, the pilot, he's, uh, he's tried to get out of the boat and he fell in while the engine was still running. And I tell you what, we all thought he'd been chopped up. We're all looking in the water and he's gone under and his engine's like, Eah! anyway, he pops his head back up again. And I was like, oh my God. So that, that the first time that it wasn't me that was close to death, but I'm sure you'll find out in later seasons that it, it, this will happen badly to me. It's, it's like a curse. So uh, that night we went back to Jeremiah's. That's where we staying that night. And he was like, we're all super knackered. And he, he was showing me this. He had a credit card. He had like the top dog visa platinum card. He, you know, he could go in a shop and buy anything for like a million dollars. And there was a moment where I felt like, am I doing the right thing here? Me selling everything and going around traveling the world. Maybe I should just like stick to one job and, and uh, you know, save up and buy a house. I was like, fuck that, I've just sold my house. And I remember Jeremiah looking at me a little bit. He had everything, but he didn't have the freedom to do what I was doing. So we were, we were buzzing off each other. Anyway, we went down to uh, San Diego in his fucking Range Rover. And, uh, you know, we paid $20 or something to get in a club at like one fifty, and then get to the bar. And they told us it was closed. Everything closes at one thirty apparently in San Diego, but they still let you in. So that was a bit of a shambles. Fucking shite, San Diego, isn't it? Anyway, next morning, 
I woke up with a serious hangover and Jeremiah, actually Jeremiah woke me up at 6.30 and he said, look, you've only got one more day. I've got something special. So I get in the Range Rover and he takes me down to the, um, his, you know, the massive naval base, which you're not allowed in unless you're like a soldier or whatever, unless you're naval. But he, he just blagged it on the door, told his mate that I was a cousin and they let me in with a pass. So I got to fucking walk around this car park. It must have had about 500 Seahawks in there. And he, he let me sit in this Seahawk. I've got a picture of me sat in this Seahawk. It was fucking unbelievable. And then we went on board this aircraft carrier. And I tell you something now, I don't, I can't remember all that much, but we're going through this fucking aircraft carrier with armed soldiers, which is like, you know, what my dad would have been working on when he was dead young. And all I remember is somebody told me that, I think it was Jeremiah, he said that this one aircraft carrier would cost a million dollars a day to run. That's just listen, that's one million dollars every day. And th this was one of I don't know how many they've got. They've got lords now. Just imagine that's all that tax money that's going on. That one boat, one million. It's basically a city on the water. So he let me go upstairs onto the onto the runway, which is like proper top gun. And I'm there on my own on top of this aircraft carrier with uh, San Diego City right over there across the bridge. And I'm looking at these fucking aircrafts like just like I feel like Tom Cruise. Big boys toys. That's proper American metal, that is. You know what I mean? Big muscle. And that was just, all I'll say is I felt like I was on top of the world. I didn't, I don't know how I deserved it. But as I said, it was dad's time and there was no better gift than that. And he was loving it. So anyway, after that, we were off to uh, Vegas and I was buzzing because I'd, uh, I'd never been to Vegas before. So it turned out that Dan, Danny, who was on the speedboat with us, the pilot, he, he happened to live in Vegas. So he, uh, he decided to come back with us. So it was um, we took the Highway 15 straight across the desert, which is just surreal. Now, I've been looking into the ancient um, history about America. And if you look at the really, really old maps, California is actually an island which is separated by a big body of water. And if if you think about it, where, uh, you know, the Colorado River is and all these like big valleys, they were obviously full of water before. What happened to that? I've got I've got this you know obsession about where did water go? Um, but you can see this as you as you drive in towards Vegas and it becomes like desert. You can see the scarring in 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 these mountains. You can see colors where the sediments actually like you know um, been left. So for me, it wasn't a desert. This is this is actually quite it's quite scary to think that this was probably green and vegetated and um, and thriving with fruits and all, all kinds of things. And then now it's just desert. So, you know, something for us to think about that in the future. But anyway, I remember we're going down Highway 15 and, uh, you know, endless roads, huge barren mountains, cutting through bright blue cloudless skies. I mean, proper blue cloudless skies. It's beautiful. You've got the shanty little gas stations scattered with the, the skeletons of old cars. It's proper cool that. I felt like I was on another planet at one point. Uh, the moon's now the earth. Uh, I'm unable to hide in the vast open skies. And I kind of knew what to expect when we hit Vegas. You know, it's like dazzling lights scarring the desert night. There's lasers everywhere. There's hotels competing for the high rollers, cruising into town in the big cars and tailor-made suits. And there's like wireframes of new hotels weaved amongst the honks and horns of card players and taxi drivers and businessmen, 24 hour smokers and drinkers and hookers. Uh, it's just like, I'm not sure if it's a place that I should be going on a budget. You know what I mean? But I was a Lone Ranger and it was time to have it large. So my first official fourth couch surfer was this guy called Danny. And 
We come in just as the moon stood proud over this network of streetlights crisscrossing through a pitch black valley. And Dan, he let me borrow his uh, his old uh, leather, you know, one of those Biggles uh, pilot jackets with the uh, fluffy, fluffy collar. He let me borrow that. So I'm walking around in Vegas with that on. Everybody thinks I'm a pilot. I'm just getting VIP treatment. It was proper, proper cushy. And uh, first place he took us was the Pepper Mill which is an old school restaurant. And that was the one that was in Casino, uh, which is like, you know, neons and blues and pinks and rock and roll fill in the air, proper like Tarantino. I think it was the, the it was the scene with Sharon Stone um, where she's all, I can't remember what was going on, but it was cool as fuck. You know, you've got the waitresses with the old fashioned uniforms. I, I loved it. That's my kind of vibe. And then after that, um, we went to uh, a place called the House Social, which is at Treasure Island, which is like a really posh sushi joint. Um, look, I wasn't paying for it, so I'll go. Sushi's not my thing, but if I'm not paying for it, I'm, I'm having it. But I remember this was really cool. We hit a, a lounge bar called um, Tao at the Venetian, um, and that was really cool. There was loads of break dances there, um, so I was getting into a bit of that. But the main thing that we were going to do that now, we got VIP tickets to go to Taboo which was inside the MGM and uh, Chris Lake was DJing. Um, so it was, you know, we were all completely out of it. And uh, it was funny cause I got thrown out for dancing. But the mad thing was, is that I was like walking around. They actually threw me out of the club. They slid me down through these doors and I ended up being like a mall. And then I sort of walked out to go back around the front and then I got through back in again. It was like only in Vegas, you know what I mean? So, uh, Next day, me and Dan, he, uh, again, another American hangover. We went for dinner um, about 10 miles out of Vegas in this place, which had a really nice view of the city. But I'll tell you something now, not a fan of Vegas. It's in the daytime. It's fucking horrible. You got to be a lizard to live there. It's it's a place, you know, you go, if, if I'm going to die, it's my bucket list. I'll go there, 10 hookers in a hotel and loads of fucking having it large and just get smashed and get on it. That's the best place for that. But for me, got to get out of there. See you later, Danny. We had a good time. So our next destination, we banged straight into the Honda Acura. Now we're getting we're getting a little bit more adventurous now. We're heading to the Grand Canyon. And uh, we headed along uh, the 93 over the massive Hoover Dam. Now, I, I, you know, I've seen the Hoover Dam in action films and all that. But I'll tell you something. You get to the Hoover Dam and you see it. Like for what it is, it's mind blowing. Um, apparently, um, there is some kind of like sign uh, in in the Hoover Dam made out of hieroglyphs, and they reckon that if there was an apocalypse or you know the end of the world, that the Hoover Dam would be one of the only structures still standing. So there's like an inscription in all these different languages to tell the next wave of people what happened. Um, it is a sight to behold, I tell you that now. It is just unbelievable. Highly, highly impressive. So around there, we actually got um, we got what you call um, the Americans National Parks ticket. $50 to go to every single national park um, because we were there in the off-season as well. We were, we were going to be traveling from like November, December, January, so it was freezing cold. There wasn't many people. But $50 would get entrance to every single park. So if you're ever going into America, I don't know if they still do it. I doubt it's the same price, but you should check that out. So we ended up going through the, the canyon, which was awe-inspiring, the Grand Canyon. We drove to the desert view to watch the sun go down. And, you know, for me, the canyon was like a giant open wound on the earth. Uh, the Colorado River was like a pulsating blue vein. I never imagined America could be so beautiful. 
but his grandness was so peaceful. It's it's so moving. It's so refreshing for the soul. I think people, most people think of America and they go to all the major cities. Get out and go to these fucking places and don't go to the usual typical tourist places. Go to the, the points that are not as popular. It's just, it's just mind-blowing how big it is. So, interestingly, after that, we, uh, we had a drive, a massive drive down to a place called St. George, which is about 120 miles north of Vegas. Um, and we had to navigate around the canyon, um, taking the 89 um, through what was called the Vermilion Cliffs, which is just beautiful. So in just one day, we actually went through three states. We went through Nevada, Arizona, and Utah. And each state was so intensely vast, invigorating. There was just like endless roads um, lit only by car lights. The mountains, like a constant dark presence watching over our every turn. It was just incredible. Again, I, I have to go back to like Jack Carrack's book, the way he described America on the road. It was That's just what it's like. It's a different planet. So... We end up turning up to this uh, fifth host, which was a young man named Josh. And we pull up to this beautiful big family home in St. George. It's surrounded by red cliffs and Christmas decorations. Um, and I remember when we walked in, it was just like, hang on, what's all this about? There was a massive big living room and there was probably about 30 people all just sat there staring at us. So... Russ waits until we go upstairs and then the whole, the main father of the family, it was the son who would host us, Josh. The father came over and he said to us, tomorrow I will take you to the temple. And I'm like, what fucking temple? We're, go we're going fucking uh, Zion, mate. You know what I mean? We're going to Zion National Park. I'm going to no temple. So he says, uh, oh, I'll take you to the temple. I ain't got time. So as we go upstairs, me and Russ, I said, Russ, what's all that about? He said, oh, shit. Didn't realize they're Mormons. I was like, what the fuck is a Mormon? And apparently, yeah, they were like, Mate, all I'm going to say is that I don't fucking trust these cults. They call cults, and the, just the way that these kids were looking at us in this house, which is all I could think about. Again, and I keep bringing this up. I just kept thinking about vampires. I was like, these look lifeless. They look like they've never been outside in the sun. And I remember the kids kept coming upstairs and in our room, just floating around. And I was like, are you coming to check us out because you're jealous because you want to get out of this fucking house and come on this road trip with us? Because you know, I'll put you in the back of the boot. Or are you coming to eat me? I, honestly, I felt fucking nervous being in that house. It was weird. And I, uh, I yeah, we, we pretty much got up before they got out and shot out of the house. And it was nice. That was like a, like a tiny fifth host, if you want to say that. But yeah, I don't want to be um, judgmental or um, racist, but I don't trust them kind of things at all. So we ended up then, next day, we took an early rise and we headed north on the 15th to this place called Zion National Park. I'd never heard of it in my life, but Jesus, did I get a shot. It was so amazing. It was like a dinosaur haven. If you imagine where dinosaurs used to hang out, this would be the place. Um, you got tree skeletons exposing huge red rocks with snow-dipped peaks, forever looking up with a gaping jaw. And we ascended a, a, a mountain in the car. We drove through a man-made tunnel in the cliff face to find ourselves on top of the world in a fantasy land, a multitude of rock colours, all their own unique shapes telling the stories of thousands of years of evolution, untouched magic trapped beneath the skies. My life changed right there. I was just like blown away. I mean, we've got the Lake District in England. There's nothing compared to this. And then we got a short drive north and we hit Bryce Canyon. I thought Zion was good. 
And then I found myself amazed yet again. We had this like huge 180 degree view of Bryce Valley from the peak of a mountain. There were like little finger like rocks protruding the snow like a flake in an ice cream. My mind overwhelmed with the silence yet vibration of the place. There was nobody in there. I could hear like deers chewing on fucking nuts on the floor. You know, it was so peaceful. But that wasn't the end of it. After that, we carried uh, northeast along Highway 12 and we headed to Moab. Uh, again, never heard of Mohab before, but that Highway 12 for me was one of the most amazing roads I think we will ever drive along. It was just, oh, it was ever-changing landscapes, families of obscure rocks competing in size, colour and shape, reaching for the heavens, massive mechanical rock monsters getting ready to fight one another, you know, rocks looking like fallen dinosaur mammoths on their sides all moulded together in their fate, views so big it blows your mind from focusing on one place at a time smooth empty roads death defying cliff turns faces in the rocks watching you fly by while they stand patiently waiting for the sun to set over their cousins on the horizon it was like oh my god every turn is jaw dropping as the last for miles upon miles upon miles i mean this is the this is the inspiration for all the cowboy films and it looked like mars you, you've never seen anything like it every turn was like wow how does it get better than that? So we got to this place called Mohab, which was a tiny little town of 8,000 people. And it, it was one of the most popular places for off-road racing. And we met this guy, Brian, who was my sixth host. Uh, we immediately got taken for a game of Texas Holden Poker in the back room of a baker's, which was awesome. And I won that, obviously. And then he gave us a push bike. Now, I love this. I mean, I, I, hadn't, I hadn't used a bike since uh, I left school. Actually, before high school, I, I ditched my bike. My bike got got stolen so i stopped riding but everybody in mohab's got a push bike and everybody leaves the doors open you know there's no locking doors that's the kind of place it was you just ride around it's fucking ace um and you know we hit we hit all the local bars everybody's drinking to get drunk fast then they're like riding the bicycles around and it's a very small community there um and then i got invited to go to this place um in red rock valley um, which was a radio station, but not just your average radio station. Some people had heard that there was a DJ in town and they wanted me to come up and play in a, in a wind-powered um, fucking radio station. And I got up there and it was fucking hailing wind outside. Um, and I was on there. We, I remember we, we were using uh, Hotmail back then to like talk to people. That was the only sort of form of fucking internet. Um, and the people were like writing in to the this wind powered radio station. I was DJing on DJing on these little Denon CDs, the fucking worst things you've ever fucking tried to DJ with. It was horrible. Um, I'm trying to talk to people at the same time. And then there was a big cut. The whole station just cut out because the wind stopped. <laughs> and I'm there like, you know, we're all sat there in darkness. And then about, you know, everybody's like chilling. We got the candles on. They're like, don't worry, it'll come back. And then just like that, 45 minutes later, wind starts and the power station just comes back on. Everything comes back on and start DJing again. That was one of the coolest things I've ever done in my life. So um, next morning, we we went around in Mohab and I always remember, had a bit of breakfast, but there was like these little parks everywhere and they've got these fucking musical instruments like xylophones in, in public parks. And and don't you know, don't you think that's cool? I remember as a kid, we used to have like, you know, swings and roundabouts and all that climbing frames. Every time I go back to England now, I look at them parks and all the sea's overgrown bush and they've took all the shit out. So people just go on there now taking drugs. There's, there's nowhere for people to like, you know, play anymore. Um, Anyway, 
after that, we carried on. This was like the National Park moment. We uh, we hit another place called uh, Dead Horse Point, which was this panoramic view over millions and millions of years of evolution. You could see the Colorado River snaking its way through, like John Wayne backdrops. And apparently, like, there's this place 6,000 feet up, and it's where they used to bring the uh, the horses, apparently. And they used to trade the horses. And any horses that were left behind... They just leave them there to die. So the horse could see the water all the way over there in the Colorado River, but it would just die of thirst. So there's apparently there's all these horse bones on top of this fucking dead horse point. That's why it's called Dead Horse Point. Pretty cool. Um, and then we finished off that day with going to the Arches National Park. And the Arches are very impressive. There's scenes in, I think, in Star Trek or Star Wars where there's like a very famous boulder. It looks almost like somebody's placed a giant boulder on top of a rock. And I think somebody did that. It, it looks like a temple. And apparently there's there's lots of under underground caverns around there as well. But my God, the arches, it was just the best best way to finish off this part of the um this part of this the the area. So after Mohab then we um we were shooting off to Boulder, Colorado. I mean what a place if if I was going to recommend a place to live that I really, really loved in uh, in the USA. It would be Boulder, Colorado. And going from Moab to Boulder, you've just got, again, all these beautiful red mountains, crystal blue rivers with snow-crusted embankments, that wine beside the endless roads. And you've got all these Christmas trees that just appear on the hillsides. You've got the ski resorts, you know, the, the famous ones like Vail. We actually stopped by Vail, um, not to snowboard, but I just went there to check it out because... Uh, the plan was for me to start snowboarding. My first ever snowboarding session would be at Salt Lake City when we got there. That would be for New Year. So I went there, looked at it, and I thought, Jesus Christ, you know I'm going to break something doing that. But, yeah, I actually couldn't wait to do it. So we get to this place, Boulder. Um, if anybody's ever watched um, – uh, so get to this place, Boulder, and we had this amazing uh, horse called Scott Clare. I'll never forget him. Um his, his couch serving name was Eagle Feather. And when we met him, his body was all tattooed with Native Indian uh, artwork. And this guy, he knew a little bit about Native Indians. In fact, his whole house was like a, um, a, a, a tribute to Native Americans. He was one of them guys that knew the real history. And he, he taught me a lot. You know, the stories that they portrayed in the old cowboy and Indian films, it's bollocks. It's like everything. If you start looking at things and invert the actual story that we're told, then the inversion is the reality of what the, the true history is. The Indians weren't bad people. It was the, it was the other people that were bad. Um, the Indians were responsible for, you know, careful agriculture. They would use the land wisely. But when you had these big, like, armies came in that took over the land, the bigger the army, the more people you needed to feed. So the agriculture got, got ahead of us. We started over overproducing food and wasting food and that was the that was the down downside of man humanity as we know it so anyway we get to this place um and um scott took me to a place called nederland which is this amazing place it's like a fairyland village in the skies situated at the top of the mountains uh, I thought about Enid Blyton and apparently this is a place where people famous people would come and um, and write it was like a, a you know tiny snow covered homes 
surrounded by clench-fisted naked trees dotted along the embankment of a glistening river, fighting the freeze, carving marshmallow-like shapes around its stones. They were like man-made bridges covered in untouched snow leading to the front doors, the icicles reflecting the first signs of Christmas. Um, this was this place where, where Grateful Dead made, um, they, had a, they had a recording studio up there and they made a, a lot of their albums. And, and just like every place that I've ever been to that's remote and in a mountain, guess what? There's always like an Indian or Nepalese restaurant. And uh, yeah, I was straight in there. It was bloody good. So apparently as well, like like anything where there's beauty, there was also a lot of uh, like ghost stories and some weird shit that went on in Netherland. Um, similar to the Laurel Canyon. There's books that you can read about it. Check it out. It's really cool. Um, anyway, after that, we went to uh, Boulder City. And you see, that was mad. Going from the mountain of Netherland into Boulder City, even though Boulder City is not like as big as like San Diego or, or, or Vegas or anything like that, you can still see how, how you know, these, these what used to be beautiful towns, they, they're just getting overrun, overpopulated and more and more trash and pollution. It's, it's kind of sad, but that was cool. I'd love to live there. I mean, Scott, I remember him looking in his garage. He had every single fucking seasonal toy you could imagine, you know, snowmobile, uh, snowboard, skateboard, um, everything. Uh, motocross this is the, this is the life in boulder i don't know why anybody want to leave that place it's just unbelievable so um we we shot off from there it was really he was one of my he was probably my favorite horse so far he was just so down to earth and biggest couch you've ever had in ever slept on in your life um we shot off to denver didn't stay in denver too long um yeah i was like let's go to denver airport because, you know, I'm obsessed with all that shit. I wanted to go and check out that. Apparently, it's like the Illuminati headquarters and there's, like, talking gargles. All I'll say, we only skip through Denver. It's a creepy place. It, it just, there's something wrong. I feel energy and Denver definitely off for me. So we shot out of there and we, uh, we head down to Albuquerque, which, if anybody's watched Breaking Bad, that's where it's filmed. Um, we stayed with this beautiful lady um, called Adele. Now, when I started out doing my couchsurfing um, um, project, when I when I first started out, I, I sent an email to to the bosses of couchsurfing, and they sent a big email to all the members. And Adele was the first person that actually replied to me and offered me a place to stay. So I was I was so like um, compelled to go and see her. So I just remember going going south from Denver into Albuquerque. You've got these like long straight flat roads, um, but you got yeah. I, there was like spectacular amalgamation of colors. I mean, this is I have to, I have to emphasize this in America when you do a road trip, the colors in the skies are just unbelievable. You've got like blend of light blues that go into yellows, into whites, and then into purples and neon blues, and then you've got like space. All the space just pulls over your head like a bread bin door closing. It's just unreal. And you know, the flatter, the longer you can see. I, I just have, that's that's one of my favorite memories about traveling around in America. So while I remember while I was driving around there, I was reading The Alchemist and um, it said in The Alchemist, you know, you, you are to follow your omens. And my omens were, I guess, this this urge of my parents that they, they, they died and it was too early. I think they were clinging on. There was unfinished business. So my omens were to sort of travel and, and get that energy out and sort of complete the cycle of, of their lives and complete it on a very happy, uh, on a positive note. So anyway, yeah, we get to see Adele 
61 years old, a cancer survivor. And, you know, she was, she was on couch surfing. You know, imagine 61 years old being on couch surfing, but she was like, she was just a waterfall of wisdom. All she wanted to do was share her experiences. And, and she said to me, I remember there's no such thing as failure, only feedback. Um, and she, she, she told me to always keep a good sense of humor. I remember that. Um, just beautiful. And I remember she took us down to um, the famous university in, in um, Albuquerque. And while we were there, we saw um, fucking Steven Seagal. <laughs> I mean, I keep saying I always meet all these weird people, but we just like walked past the set and I'm like, oh, this is a movie set. You know, I'm pretty, pretty well up with movies in America's the land of movies. But I turn around and I sort of walked into this set and somebody said, hey, sorry, you have to come back. And I'm, I'm stood there and this big giant's in front of me and this giant just turned around and he went, are you supposed to be on the set? And I was like, shit, are you Steven Seagal? And uh, yeah, they were filming a movie called Once Upon a Time in the Hood, which is typical shite Steven Seagal. But I'd accidentally walked, because, you know, I just buy me nails, paying no attention to where I was going. I nearly I nearly walked into Steven Seagal's ass. That's another little legendary story. So that was funny as fuck. Anyway, next up, we were going to go all the way over to Texas and... Um, you know, Texas is a hell of a drive. That was the longest drive we've ever done. And I want to, I want to give a good, I'm going to, I'm going to finish in a minute. This, uh, this is a bit of an extended episode because I haven't done, done one for so long and I've talked so much, but the reason I'm happy to finish on Texas is like something, somebody that inspired me to get into podcasting is Joe Rogan. Um, Joe Rogan's now moved over to Austin and apparently he's got this new, um, you know, the mothership he's turned He's turned the scene over there into like the epicenter of comedy. I fucking love Joe Rogan. Anybody who said bad shit about him, all I'll say is this: look, he he, he does speak certain ways and 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 um, he has certain opinions, and he sometimes he does cut people off when they mention things that I'm interested in. But you know, he has got like a million dollar um, contract with Spotify. He's he's got to be wise about how he how he does things. But there's nobody doing what he does about you know offering a platform for people to talk openly and, and suggest suggest new new ways uh, going forward. I think if you really, really want to stay on top of everything and and listen to cool people's opinions and views, there's no greater platform. And I, owe, I, owe, I want to say a big thank you to Joe Rogan. I'm hoping one day somehow I'll magically get an invite onto his podcast because I've got a lot to talk about, but I'm just not cool enough yet. Um, so, yeah, I ended up going to El Paso um, and... This is fucking crazy. This when you when you're driving around into Texas, you're like you, you swing around um and you can see the border um uh, of Mexico and it's like you, you're in you're in America and everything's like organized and then on the other side of the border you've got um Chihuahua um and it's just like you've got this gray cloud that lingers over a country that forever watches, you know, a rich economy drive by on the other side. There was just like a tiny river just separating the two countries. And I just felt like, shit, I'm going to be heading to Mexico next. You know, I've had all this luxury and all these amazing horse with amazing houses. And you know what? If I could, I would have jumped over that river and gone straight over there immediately. But I had to finish my, uh, my three months in America. I wanted to get down into all the dirty shit. I wanted it to be more, um, a little bit more difficult. I wasn't going to have a horse driving me around in a nice car. I was going to be taking the bus in Mexico. So I had all that to come. So anyway, we get down to um, 
uh, El Paso. No, sorry. We got down to our ninth host um, in Austin City Centre, uh, which was this lady called, lovely lady called Andrea. We turned up at like 12 midnight. We had a massive, big, long ride. It was fucking boring as fuck. And, and on the way to Texas as well, we ran out of gas. So Russ had this, <laughs> he had his car set up where you could turn off the speed on the mileometer and we drive the car and not put any uh, any mileage on his on his on his speedometer. And um every now and again we turn it back on again. So what I did, he, he let me drive one night and uh we're driving and I turned it on, checked the uh, the gas gauge, looked like we we're all right, but it didn't let the gas gauge settle down. So actually we were we were close to running out of gas. So I've turned it off again because we didn't want to wrap rack up all this mileage. That's what cool people do. And uh, yeah, the car just stopped on my watch while I was driving. You know, Russ wakes up in the middle of the night screaming at me, you stupid English man. So we had to wait fucking all night for um, these guys to come and pick us up and sort it out. That was the first time I was driving in America and I fucked it up. (laughs) So anyway, get to uh, Austin and um, fucking she took us out straight away. We went to this place called the Whiskey Bar, which was just alive and kicking. It was exactly what we needed after a big long drive. And I'll tell you something now, from my first experience in Austin, it's like, a you know, an energized um, student place. It was off its head. You've got like Twisted House, Japanese pop, indie and 80s fused music, which I've never heard before. It was so eccentric. And I, I've been DJing quite a long time, but that DJ that night, I don't know what it was called, blew my fucking head off. How he was mixing tunes. And this was way before laptops came on the scene. So... Akada was like, oh, I want a DJ, but she's like, just enjoy it. So straight after that, we got invited to some uh, student end of term party in a house. And I tell you what, it was fucking ace. I loved it. I could have stayed in Austin. I I didn't think I'd like Texas because all the big politicians live there, but I want to go back. Again, I think Boulder and uh, Austin are two places definitely definitely to look out for. So um, the next morning, we, we shot off. We only stayed there a couple of days. Then we shot off down to San Antonio. And we had another horse called Benjamin. And San Antonio is very cool. It's um, it's uh, it's very sort of like uh, old, old, old world. Um, hard to say, different from everywhere else. Uh, now I'm going to be talking a little bit about the old world America in later episodes, but there was traces here of like um, a people that don't get talked about enough. These like, if you're into architecture and stuff the history that we've been told is is not what I believe to be right. So I'll get into that later. But all I remember is that, you remember that? Remember the Alimore uh, in uh, American Wealth in London? So there we are, we're at the Alimore now. And I didn't really know what it was, but it's just this little tiny like building. Apparently it was like 1836. There was a big battle between the Texans and the Mexicans and the Texans lost and over 600 people died within the walls. Um, you know, John Wayne's been there. Um, it's fucking awesome. Now, I've got this fucking obsession with vampires. I keep saying it. I'll come back to this later. But you remember that um, Once Upon a Time in Mexico or one of the um, or Robert Rodriguez movies about vampires? I, that's the kind of vibe I got when I was there. It was nothing to do with cowboys and Indians or, or Mexicans. It was like there was a fucking massacre of vampires. <laughs> um Anyway, we went down to uh, the riverside, which is like a really nice canal. Uh, I remember the cypress trees there, all twisted, and it was like it was it's like Venice style arch bridges. And this Venice style, um, now this kind of architecture, I will later discuss when I get towards Florida. But 
there was an ancient uh, people that were called the Moors. And these Moors were actually related to what you call the Creeks, who ended up becoming the native Indians. And this is something that Scott was teaching me about. So the Creeks actually became the Greeks. And they were already in America before Columbus came over, right? So that story is all bullshit. But you had these people called the Phoenicians, and the Phoenicians were related to the Finnish people, and the Finnish people became the Venetians who built Venice. And that's why you've got Venice-style um, architecture all around the world, and I'd love to talk to you about that later. All right. So anyway, for now, I'm going to uh, stop because I've talked too long. But next up, I'm going to be heading over to New Orleans. Now, before I finish, I do want to give a shout out to my good friend, Robert, my cycling buddy, who uh, on the same day that my buddy Chris passed away, um, he had a nasty fall on his bicycle and broke his fucking collarbone. So I've lost one of me. Uh, I've lost one of me riding buddies. And he he, he he gave me some feedback about my podcast. He's enjoying it. Look, I'm enjoying it. I know it's not perfect. I just like telling stories and uh, it makes me feel better. So if you've listened to this far, I really appreciate it. Um, please give us a like on Spotify or, or uh, Apple. It makes a big difference. But I want to finish with a poem that I wrote. Um, actually, I wrote it in 2007 when I was on the road. Um, it's called Faith. And the reason I wrote it was because as I was traveling, I met people in houses and they all seem to have like something that they pray towards. And recently um, I was with my partner, her family came over. I want to give a big shout out to the Catalan family. I got in, in, invited to go and do uh, an MMA event. Um, I was supporting the corner with uh, these fighters that are part of the uh, my partner's family. And they're all very, very uh, religious. They pray before every meal and they pray before the fight. And, and I, I actually, you know, I'm not, I'm not a religious person. I, I believe in spirituality. I haven't really truly found uh, my my God. As I say, I believe in the universe. I believe in love. And I believe in Sergio Aguero and Manchester City and Pep Guardiola. But I do have a faith. And recently, I've uh, with what happened to Chris, I've started like looking more within. And, um, you know, life's full of ups and downs. I think something that I have faith in is when I'm feeling down or when I'm, when I'm feeling like... Um, you know, I don't know which direction I'm going in. I feel like I've got no support. I can somehow pull out uh, the negative and turn it into a positive because you know what? I'm still alive. I've still got my health and I can still do things like this. So this one's called Faith. All right, here we go. We all need a Yoda who is my Obi-Wan. Do I hear my seer? Do I see beyond the question mark posed in the early morning mirror? Can I be my own prophet? What do I prophesize? Who has faith in me? Do I believe in myself? Can I become that dream? Do I decide my next move? Can I stand beside you? Touch me, say nothing. A smile is everything. Is trust a greater sign than love? Can we be just one? Not I or you, but we. I won't give up on you. Don't give in to me. Two wings are needed to fly. An endless sky of blue. Define what is true, the journey, not the destination, to do, not to know, to mean, not to say, to discover, not to learn, to stumble, not to seek, joy instead of stress, not more, but less, to give rather to take, to heal instead of break. I have faith in you, have faith in me, 
together an endless wave in the ocean of humanity. That's for Chris. I love you, buddy. And to the rest of you, thanks for listening. And remember, having it large.